So today we're going to be looking at a passage in John. I'm really excited to be in the Gospel of John today in John 9 and 10. Uh, before I get into that, we have a serious squirrel problem at my house. Does anyone else have a serious squirrel problem around here? I mean, they've become militarized and militant. You too, okay. I cannot believe it. So it started with a bird feeder, and we, we built, my dad built this bird feeder with a big tube on it that he said the squirrels could not climb it. And that was true for a while. But then they started to be able to climb it, and they would actually climb up the side of my house and launch themselves onto the bird feeder to eat the seeds. There would just be seeds everywhere. And seeds, bird seed's kind of expensive. We've had to cut back our bird seed money because, I mean, these squirrels were just wreaking havoc. Um, so we got a baffle. It's this, like, upside-down bowl that keeps the squirrels out, right? Right, yeah. And I greased the pole. So I'm like, you know, this should do it. Um, so we watched, and they, they, were, they were baffled for a while. Uh, but they weren't baffled permanently, unfortunately, and they ended up, there's this big squirrel, I don't know what his name is. He's big. He's big in the squirrel community. Maybe you've seen him. He's kind of fat. What's his name? Bubba. Um, Melissa knows the squirrel. And he actually could get to the top of that pole. He'd be sliding. He'd get to the top. And then he did this amazing, I guess, ab exercise. He'd, he'd let go of the pole and reach around the baffle and pull himself around it. And pretty soon he taught the other squirrels how to do that. I'm not, I, I kid you not. Right, Jackie? This is totally true. And so we're watching as these squirrels are, do, are getting up the baffle. So uh, we're not sure what to do with these squirrels. Well, most recently, the, the, the bird fear ended up falling down, I think, because these squirrels were hanging on it all day long. And uh, we put it away, but we recently set it back up, and we were trying to keep the squirrels out. We have the seed inside of our house, uh, and we, we filled it up. We came home from, from, from uh, wherever we were to our house, and the squirrels had burrowed holes through our screen come into our house and take in the seed from the bag in our house. And so then we, then we closed that door and, locked and, and patched it up. They came in through the kids' side of the house through, these, through the windows, in the, through the screens, tore holes through them. I just can't believe these squirrels. We still haven't solved the problem. Um, I have a solution that I'm not willing to talk about in front of children. But, uh, but <laughs> or anyone that works for the city. And Mike does too. Very good. Yeah. Olivia has some elaborate ideas about drowning them in the pool, but that's kind of morbid. Um, so basically, it's been a very difficult, difficult task. And uh, when we got back from vacation, we just away for two weeks in the deep south. That's where you go when it's super hot here. You go south to find more heat. Um, and these squirrels had launched themselves from somewhere onto the top of the screen and burrowed a hole through the top of the screen. So I just don't know what we're going to do with the, with the squirrels. But squirrels are not stupid. That's what I'm trying to say. Squirrels are not stupid. They are very smart. Uh, they're an animal you wouldn't think were very smart, but they're very, very smart, and they can learn and grow. And they're not the only animal that can do that. In 2011, a study was done, uh, a serious study in England, where they were studying... Sheep. And the people that the scientists that were conducting this study, this reputable scientific study, did not think they'd be able to test the sheep, the sheep very well for intelligence because they thought the sheep were too stupid to probably take, even take these tests. Sheep have a be really bad reputation in the animal kingdom of, of being 
stupid of doing whatever everyone else is doing. And part of that is because when you look at them eating, they look really stupid. I mean, they, they say you look sheepish when, when you're eating grass. I sent a picture to Jackie this morning. They just look silly when, when they're eating grass. And they also will follow, they, they have a strong flocking te- uh, tendency, and they will follow a group of sheep anywhere that group goes, even to the middle of the road without thinking. And so because of the way they look when they eat and because of how they flock, they're assumed to be very stupid. But what they found out in this study is the sheep are not actually dumb at all. They're very smart. They have the br- a brain equal to rodents, squirrels, monkeys, and sometimes a little bit just below humans in their intelligence. Uh, they are able to uh, learn. They're able to uh, map their surroundings. They're able to plan ahead and adapt to new situations. So you never thought the sheep were this smart, but they're pretty intelligent. One of the great uh, skills that sheep has is its ability to understand and remember the voice of the shepherd that it is following. And in Palestine to this day, there could be lots and lots of sheep in the field. And the shepherd will come out, who's not the sheep's shepherd, even calling them by name, they will not follow that shepherd. They have such a deep understanding and memory for what their shepherd's voice is that they refuse to follow a stranger. That's an amazing thing that sheep do. It's an amazing skill they have. Um, and once they learn that, it's very, they pretty much will stubbornly stick to that voice. Uh, we are compared to sheep in the Bible a lot of the time. And a lot of time we talk about how, how stupid sheep are. That's why we're compared to sheep, because we're so stupid. But sheep are not really that stupid. They follow really well. And they remember voices really well of their, of their master. That's two things they do very well. But they are not stupid beings. And neither are we. You know, we're not stupid. God has created us intelligent with the ability to learn, adapt, and, uh, and figure things out. He's also given this amazing ability to hear his voice and remember what it sounds like. And to follow him um, if we choose to do so. The Old Testament talks about uh, sheep and shepherds a lot. Um, in Ezekiel 34, the author laments that there is no good shepherds in, among God's people. That all of the leaders of the people are leading the sheep astray. And characteristically, the people are following their voices and flocking together and doing what they're told. But these shepherds that are leading God's people supposedly in Ezekiel 34, uh, they're even appointed by God to lead, are not doing their job. And so the sheep are not doing well. And so you can hear God's heart in Ezekiel 34. Um, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. What's the, the, the picture there? Uh, uh, eating the food the sheep produce, wearing the fur the sheep produce, and then eating the sheep, the sheep themselves, but not taking care of them. It's an ugly picture. It's an ugly picture of very selfish shepherds exploiting God's people. 
You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. I myself, God says, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good, in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns, you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. And he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in your land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. Just a beautiful passage sharing God's heart to shepherd his people and his heart break 
at the ways the, le- the leaders of the people have exploited them and really lived for themselves instead of for the good of the sheep in every respect, from saving them from dangers to feeding them, to taking care of them. The, the, the shepherds of Israel had done the opposite, had actually exploited the sheep, um, using their fur, eating their food, and ultimately destroying the sheep themselves. And this is something that breaks God's heart. And God's solution is, fine, I'm going to shepherd my people. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it right. And he, he enunciates exactly what that means as you read the passage. But then he says, my servant David will be the shepherd of the sheep. I will be their God, and he will be the prince that rules over. So this really interesting kind of uh, thing at the end where God is saying, I'm going to be the shepherd. Then he says, you know, David will be the shepherd. And so rabbis have puzzled over this passage for a long time. It seems to be saying both that God will shepherd the sheep and that David or a descendant of David will, sh- will shepherd the sheep. Enter Jesus Christ, who solves the problem. A son of David, the son of man, the son of God. Jesus is both God, the good shepherd, and he's also the son of David, the human shepherd, God in the flesh. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So this prophecy in Ezekiel 34, where God is so dismayed with his people, the answer to that solution is God and, and, and David will be the shepherd. And then God and the David became shepherd through Christ. Uh, when Jesus and the Father, uh, when Jesus declared that he and the Father were one. So this Ezekiel 34 passage is so foundational to the story in John that I just had to read it to see God's, uh, to the trajectory of God's work in the, in the church and then his fulfillment of this work in Christ of being a good shepherd. Uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were functioning in the same way as those under-shepherds in Ezekiel 34 who fell under God's condemnation. They were not seeking out those who were sick or blind or needy. They were exploiting those people, lining their pockets, and condemning those people. So the shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, teachers of the law, by and large, not shepherding God's people. And so Ezekiel 34 gets fulfilled in a big way. Jesus comes on the scene known as the Good Shepherd, which we'll read about today, and kind of sets this situation right and shows us the way that God shepherds his people in contrast to how God shepherds, how people, um, their poor shepherds, have done the job. So we're going to start in John 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. I don't know what kind of Christian you are, um, but I've heard the prayers of many Christians and prayed with many Christians. And I think a lot of Christians and non-Christians, perhaps, believe that the world is like a cosmic lottery machine. You put in your good deeds and good things come out. You put in your bad deeds and bad things come out. We believe God is just. Then we see someone who's maybe born blind and we say, well, whose fault was that? Was that his parents' fault? Was it his fault? There has to be a reason in order for God to be just that this happened. Jesus' emphatic answer is neither of them. Um, Jesus recognizes, unlike the culture that he lived in and unlike the culture that we live in, that 
darkness and complexity is all around us, and we can't just look around us and say, oh, it's because he did this that this happened to him, or it's because she did this that this happened to her. That's not the way the world works. It's much more complicated than that, much more mysterious than that. And Jesus totally bucks against this kind of lottery thinking. If you put in good, good will come out. If you put in bad, bad will come out. Jesus overturns that completely and says, no, that's not what this means. So the disciples, under this misconception, uh, said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pole of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly had seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. Then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. The good shepherd, Jesus, was walking along. He found a man born blind, and he did something about it. He didn't just say, oh, this person's on the streets this way because they're, uh, they're lazy, you know. They're probably just pretending to be blind. Probably they're just, uh, you know, in poverty, and, you know, we shouldn't even make eye contact with this person. Jesus saw this man and said, this is a lost sheep. And being the good shepherd, Jesus refused the argument that this man was some horrible sinner and deserved what had happened to him, and instead compassionately reached out and healed this man, seeking and saving what was lost, the good shepherd. Now we get to see um, how the Pharisees investigate this healing. The Pharisees who are supposed to be shepherding Israel for God. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath, so that's their big problem with Jesus. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my, my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, which is like losing your entire social sphere that you interacted with. That's what, that's what that meant. So, unfortunately, the man's parents weren't even shepherding him. They're like, uh, don't talk to us. We'll let him deal with it. So this guy's kind of on his own, huh? 
A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Yeah. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a, blind, a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? They threw him out. The shepherds of Israel um, decided that you can see this whole, in this whole passage a demonstration that they were not seeking and saving the lost, that they were not interested in the man that had been healed or his family. Um, they're not the ones that had found him. He, he only came to their attention when they realized it was Jesus who had done something for this man. And then the, under threat from Jesus being able to do this amazing miracle, they found a technicality that he had worked, Jesus had worked on the Sabbath and therefore he was a sinner and God would never listen to a sinner and go through this whole rigmarole with Christ, the good shepherd. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down by my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind person? Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy against you, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are God's. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as, very, as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. It said, Though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Many people in this day and many people in our day um, are like that thief and the robber who come in and say, you know, I am the shepherd. I am the person that you should listen to. But the way that you know who the good shepherd is, is the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A hired hand um, is not invested, does not care. Jesus gave his life for the salvation, protection, and the quality of life of his sheep. It seems like a mixed metaphor. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and then he says, I am the gate. Those are the same thing. A good shepherd leads his sheep into the fold and then the, a good shepherd lays at night in the entry to that gate and guards against wolves and other animals coming in and, and sheep escaping and getting out he watches them as they come he watches them as he as they go the good shepherd's very body on the ground is the gate for the sheep and jesus says i am the good shepherd all these that came before me these false prophets these teachers of the law these pharisees have tried to tie heavy burdens around your neck and keep you from my flock, it is through me that you get in and it's through me that you're protected because I'm the one that gave my life for the sheep. Um, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It's interesting, all of this happened, it says in verse 22, 10-22, during the Feast of Dedication. This was the Hanukkah celebration where there was... It's the, the last time that the Jewish people had been liberated from their uh, captors. And you can read that story in the Maccabean Revolution. And basically there was a big uh, 
temple dedication after that time happened. And since then, uh, nothing. But it was a time when uh, Judas Maccabees was made king, even though he wasn't uh, from a line of kings. He was made king at that time over the people. And, uh, and King Herod, in Jesus' time, had married a relative of the Maccabean king in kind of, in kind of a way of saying, I am the, the king of Israel. But during this very feast where the temple got dedicated, where a man was declared king, the last man was declared king of Israel, Jesus comes in and says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, a good shepherd and, and, and sheep was a way that ancient people talked about uh, um, kings and rulers and their people. And Jesus came and said, I am the rightful king. I am the good shepherd. If anyone hears my voice and follows me, they're part of my, my sheep pen. And I am the gate for the sheep. You get in through um, my work in Jesus Christ. And I am the, the good shepherd of the sheep that leads the sheep in and out as they come and as they go and watches them and helps them to find pasture. And none of the sheep that I have called am I going to lose because I'm a good shepherd, even to the point of giving my life to the sheep. This is the true shepherd of Israel. This is Jesus Christ, um, who said that he and the Father were one. Um, the good shepherd, the son of David, um, and he is still, to this day, a good shepherd. And if you're here, it's because you have heard the voice of God call you into the faith. And you might have some um, confusion. You might have some doubts and difficulties in your faith. But ultimately, through Jesus Christ, um, Jesus is watching your comings and your goings. Jesus will not let you slip out of his hand. Um, Jesus would, has given his very life for you. How much more will he not give you all things? He's the good shepherd, you know? So this morning, as we, as we come to the table, um, the worship band's going to come. I want us to consider um, the shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ, who has called us by name. There was a time when he called us and set us apart. That same shepherd, Jesus, is not like the earthly shepherds who are in it for their own wealth and their own prosperity and their own um, affluence, exploiting people for his own good to build himself up. Jesus is the servant king who washed the feet of his disciples and said, if you want to be like me, you go and do likewise. Who told us to love him and love other people. Um, so as we come to the table, let's consider the one who is called the good shepherd, the gate for the sheep, and recognize that it's through his blood and his broken body that we come into the fold. And it's by that same uh, power of self-sacrifice and love that we are sustained in this life that he provides for us and leads us by the hand, by his voice. And my prayer this morning has been that you would hear the voice of the good shepherd, that you would remember what it sounds like, that if there's any layers of junk, of guilt, of, of, of a sense of, um, you know, I did these things, therefore I'm condemned and I'm living God's second or third best for my life, um, there's something wrong with me, I'm damaged goods, that you would realize that Jesus Christ um, considers you to be a canvas where he can paint his redemptive story on. Whatever you're going through or have been through, wherever you're at, um, he looks at you and doesn't say, who sinned, this person or his parents? He says, no, this is, your life is as it is so that I can show my glory on this, so I can paint on this and form something new. So the worship band's going to play as we come to the table. Uh, you can take the elements back to your chair and then we'll take them together at the end of the service.
Heavenly Father, I, I pray your blessing upon your people. I thank you that you have given us the ability to hear and know your voice. And I pray that you would help us to hear your voice this morning as you call us into your sheepfold, as you call us to yourself. I pray that you would remove our our superstitious minds that just kind of believe in a cosmic lottery, that we do good and good things happen, we do bad, bad things happen, and that that would go away. And that we would, all, all barriers and all false things that have come between our relationship with you, the good shepherd, um, would fall away and we'd know the care and the love that you have for us and your sustaining grace which we receive in many forms every day. So I pray for your people, God. You bless them and keep them. Shine your face upon them. Show them your grace today. Let them hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you're ready, you can come and get the elements. Go back to your seat as the worship band plays.